to the Learning 3.0 podcast. I'm Rustika Lamb from Bloom, and in each episode, I chat to learning and technology thought leaders and how to support business performance through people performance. My guest today is Nelson Sivillingham, and he's the co-founder and CEO of HowNow, an intelligent learning platform, as opposed to an LMS, which is disrupting the way in which digital learning is delivered and knowledge is monetized. And this is not his first startup. He is a successful serial entrepreneur and award-winning filmmaker. He has been a speaker at Google Campus, an ambassador for Startup Britain, and guest lecturer on entrepreneurship. He has been recognised by Virgin Media as one of the top 30 innovative founders in the UK, as well as one of the top Asian stars in tech by KPMG. He's a thought leader on startups and tech, contributing to publications such as The Guardian, The Telegraph, and startups.co.uk. And recently, he was featured in Bloomberg's documentary on entrepreneurial mindset. He is a performance and development specialist first, and you can see those great learning principles play out in his next-gen Learning 3.0 platform. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So welcome, Nelson, to the Learning 3.0 podcast. Great to have you on today. Thanks for having me, Mastika. That's awesome. And as we were saying before, we met at a UK learning technology show and I was attracted to your stand by those people walking around with cow heads on. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, what's that all about? So um, I think we got a bit of a telling off, but it did what it was supposed to do, which was uh, get people's attention. I mean, we were the underdogs coming into a market full of incumbents and and what we thought were quite a lot of stale, similar-looking LMSs. And we thought, you know, how do we put limited resource to good use? So I think you might remember we had a little coffin with the sign LMS is dead. And, you know, obviously based on kind of how now our mascot is, we don't say brown cow, but purple cow to stand out. And so we had a few people walking around in cow masks carrying the coffin and that, and that kind of got us a bit of attention. <laughs> so who did you get the slack from, the organisers? Well, yeah, initially we thought, you know what, we want people to see this before they come into the conference. So we were outside and then they said, obviously this is private property, so you can't do it. We were like, well, fair enough, we've got to stand inside. So no one's going to stop you wandering around and and standing (laughs) by the stand. So we did that and it turned out to um, work better. Yeah, yeah. And this is the thing, and, and this is why I've chosen you, know, you to come on and, and have a chat, because not just only your marketing is innovative, your tech is innovative as well. And you were just saying you've got a new CTO who's experienced in machine learning and algorithms. And I mean, just that's brilliant. I mean, that's sort of where things are heading with you know the LMS. So it's really awesome. And it was a bit of an interesting conversation because I talked to some people in the UK and they said, oh no, that topic's so dead. You know, LMS is dead. You know, don't even go there. So I put a poll on LinkedIn and over 50% said, yeah, that's what we want to hear about. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I said, oh, it'll be a bit of fun to um, just get some tech providers on who are in that learning tech space to sort of have that conversation with me. So yeah, so thanks for coming on. I really appreciate that. No, thank you. Okay, so let's kick off because obviously we're in you know 2020 and the LMS has been around for a while. What have you seen as sort of the evolution over your time? Like you're a bit of a Gen Xer like me, probably not quite X, probably on the, the very <laughs> later X, but um, what have you seen historically with um, the LMS development? Yeah, I guess like the origin story of the LMS is probably familiar for most people. You know, it was essentially just digitizing binders of content and getting it online. And that was really the primary requisite was just get this stuff online. Um, And I think 
with getting it online, the main pain point it was always solving was for the administrator. And that made sense because to a large degree, um, it was they only saw digital as a means to delivering mandatory compliance training. Uh, they needed some kind of digital record that would track that this was completed and it was done and then they can show the regulators. And so this was the easiest, the cheapest way of collecting that data and showing it. Uh, and they didn't, I think, historically consider it as anything more than that. Uh, for any kind of serious training, quote unquote, um, they would look at the classroom. You know, anything that mattered would go into the classroom and anything was just a tick box exercise to a large degree was, was stuck on the LMS. And I think to a large part, that is how it's been used. And there are still many, many organizations who use it in that way. And I think one of the most significant shifts has really been um, this understanding that compliance training can save you from a lawsuit, but it won't save you from disruption. And given the rise of kind of the influence of technology on every market and sector, and, and with every sector being disrupted um, significantly, now organizations are like, to, okay, what do we do to save ourselves from being disrupted? Because even the most highly regulated industries like legal banking are being disrupted by new tech and startups who are coming into the space. And I think this question of how do we protect ourselves, how do we future-proof this organization, this business, and how do we make sure our people have the, the knowledge, skills, and mindset to be able to keep this organization going in answering that question, I think they realize we need more continuous learning to be able to address that issue. And then they took a look at their existing learning infrastructure in terms of technology. And they went, actually, this wasn't designed for this, yeah. right? This was designed for the compliance tick box and learner record, admin focus. It was perfect for that. But for this new need that we have, it doesn't serve the purpose. And thankfully, technology has come a long way. And so I think now the kind of needs of the business um, is at an intersection with where technology is. Um, mm. And that's why we're getting a new suite of products that are kind of building on the LMS or at least replacing the LMS. Yeah, and I agree with that. I've just part of my master's, I had to do this history of the LMS and I actually was like, oh my goodness, it's actually quite interesting. And it sort of really does it, the products that came out of it we're really aligned to Web 1.0 and Web 2.0, and, and yet that Web 1.0 is it's just one way. So, yeah, deliver, 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 get your admin out the back. At Web 2.0 is more interactive, so you've got this two-way going on. And we have got Web 3.0, which is why I stole the term learning 3.0, because I think tech will then align with 3.0, which is about the emerging tech, like machine learning, artificial intelligence, blockchain, all that. And you're starting to see that already. So, yeah, absolutely. And it surprised me, actually, the first sort of LMS was 1954, which is was the airline industry, wasn't it? Might have been airline, and it was a question and answer. So you could actually see a question and answer, but you had to have the right answer. It was still very <laughs> it was like a typewriter. <laughs> so, yeah, so quite quite interesting historically. So in terms of, sort of like the term LMS and, and what they do well, what do you think sort of the current ones do well? I mean, I personally don't think they've really evolved in the last 20 years. There hasn't been a lot of innovation since the early 2000s. They're all pretty much same, same. But what do you think they do well? Yeah, so I think LMS, it's changed a lot, right? Because I think what you've ended up with is quite an over-engineered system that we still call LMS. Um, because as the needs have kind of changed and companies are asking for new things from their LMS, 
what a lot of the legacy LMS providers have done is just keep adding on to this existing system. So you end up with kind of bloated platform that's trying to do everything for everyone, but not doing anything properly for any one person. And so I think where the LMS probably did do well at its time was just cracking that completion rate for the courses that were on the platform. You know, it had a very limited requirement that it did it for, but even that was quite a limited scope because it wasn't giving you a comprehensive view of all of the learning that was taking place in your organization or all of the learning that any individual within your organization was doing. So it was a very narrow focus in terms of what you could learn from that. And so it's unfortunate. I'm struggling to think of great things the LMS has done, but (laughs) there are platforms that, I guess the the admin part, it did do well. And there, there are a lot of LMSs that have kind of helped the logistics of how learning was run previously. And, you know, from there are LMSs that do everything from kind of room bookings to, you know, managing the entire, factoring your catering costs and, and all of that, which makes sense from a kind of traditional top down, let's kind of support the administrator and ease their pain of putting together the logistics and administration. But I think it's less relevant in today's workforce. But I think Maybe once upon a time it did that well, but that's just not enough now. So I think that's why in today's environment, the LMS in its kind of traditional form has very little to offer. And what it did used to do is almost a basic requirement, you know, in terms of creating, delivering and tracking learning from a system. Technology's come so far, it's bread and butter. It's easy to do and the things that the LMS used to do 10 years ago. Yeah, and I, I've actually seen that as well. This bells and whistles, and there's more bells and more whistles, and bell more, and then all of a sudden, something a platform that people maybe five years ago, and I've seen that this here in New Zealand five years ago, said, "Hey, that's really innovative, easy to use." As the bells and whistles have been added, it's now the word on the street is it's clunky. So it's quite interesting. Them, yeah, they're trying to, as you say, make it do all things for all people. But then it becomes a clunky experience, not just for the admin, but also for the user as well. And I think to a large degree, um, Oscar, I think the reason why the acronym is has kind of stuck around is it is a synonym for kind of just learning within the workplace. And in L&D, we love acronyms. We've got all kinds. There's LXPs, there's EEPs, there's LPs, there, there's all kinds of acronyms. And I think the one, just because of how long it's been around for, when people say they need an LMS, what they're really saying is we, we need a learning technology or learning platform. It's just that that has become the acronym. So I don't think when people are running RFPs for LMS and we look at what's specced in these requirements, they're no longer asking for what that traditional LMS stood for. You know, they're asking for a lot of things that today would be associated with a learning experience platform. They're asking for a lot of things that would be associated with a knowledge sharing or knowledge management platform. And so I think although we're still using LMS as the way to kind of define it and describe it, I don't think that's what the buyer means. And they're not referring to that traditional LMS. That's a really good point, actually, because I'm seeing the companies I'm working with, they're very much asking for, we want a very strong search functionality. So I think, okay, that's interesting. We want it to be able to curate from many sites. We've got um, an intranet and we've got a help page and we've got a this and a that and this needs to all come together. So search has become really important. But also simplicity, like how do I do my job right now? I'm a manager, I'm about to go into a difficult conversation what was that four-step process I learned in a workshop four months ago? Like, how do I find that quickly now? So it really is changing. And 
And let's talk about a little bit more about LMS and LXP because I do laugh. I think the term LXP, I mean, I understand that, and let's talk about the difference between the two, but I think a lot of LMS companies have said, oh, we're now an LXP, and it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're just an yeah. LMS. You might have a really nice UX, but you're still an LMS. So what would you consider the difference between an LXP and an LMS? Yeah. I get, I get asked that a lot. <laughs> I mean, this is a tricky one. I think this is why I can imagine it's a very confusing market for to buy it because there are so many different acronyms. And like you said, there are LMSs now calling themselves an LXP. Well, there's an LMS that says we have an LXP add-on and there's an LXP <laughs> that has an LMS add-on. And an LRS with the reporting. And I think it's very confusing for a buyer to know what they're looking yeah. for. We just call ourselves an intelligent learning platform because essentially we are a learning platform and the intelligence comes from the fact that it's powered by um, artificial intelligence. We don't like to shout about it because I don't think the buyer really cares whether you're powered by AI, ML. They, they don't really care. It's really what problem is it solving for them? And that's exactly what I would say to a buyer who's looking to bring in a learning platform is forget the acronyms and forget whether you're looking for a learning experience platform or an LMS. I think the best way to run an RFP is to list your problems is here are the problems that we need solving within our organization from an L&D or from a HR perspective, and then get a diverse range of um, providers to come in and talk about how they would solve those problems, not about you know necessarily specific features. And I think this is one of the problems with RFPs in general is you're not the technologist or the product expert, yet you're specking features, right? Yeah. Versus the thing you are an expert in is the problem. No one knows the problem as well as you do. And so you spend your time articulating the problem and then you don't know whether it's an LXP, an LMS or an LRS that you need, but that's fine. Because if you've spec the problem properly, then you'll get the right solution providers coming to tell you how you can solve that problem. And so I've kind of dodged your difference question, but I, I imagine <laughs> in the traditional market sense, what people associate with the LXP is almost a layer that brings all of this different learning together from multiple different sources. And so it's that single source of truth or, or that single front door to access all of your learning versus the LMS is still very much, I think, based around kind of the learner record, uh, the logistics and the administration of learning. And um, so an LXP that doesn't have that LMS component you wouldn't necessarily be able to create learning on it, do your logistics and your administration on it. It's more focused around the discovery interface for the end user is, mm -hmm. is what I would say is the most obvious difference between the two. Interesting. And I love your, your thoughts around RFPs. In fact, I'm working with a couple of clients to help them you know, replace the LMSs at the moment. And I just you've given me an idea that possibly our long list could have solved these problems. So we know what the requirements are because we were the LMD people, but phase one, long list, solve these problems, and then they can come and they can show us how they'll do that. But maybe the short list gets to see the sure. requirements. So I really yeah, like that. So I'm um, going to change my process. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So moving on um, in terms of COVID and how do you think that's changed the world of LMS? Because you know, you've lived through this since you know beginning of the year and you own you or you're an owner of, of an LMS or sorry, an intelligent learning platform system. <laughs> <laughs> how have you seen the pandemic affect the LMS and the world of LMS? 
Yeah, so I think it's probably, you know, like many things, it's accelerated, I think, um, the need and I guess the change process that was already happening in organisations in terms of digital transformation, people transformation, it's accelerated that process. Digital transformation projects that would have taken 12 months to move across to, you know, Teams and Office 365 is happening in the space of a couple of weeks. And so that acceleration, I think what it does, it blows up some of the pain points and some of the problems. You know, you can't accelerate a 12 months digital transformation project into two weeks and not expect some people to feel like they're being left behind. And mm. so how do you bring your people along with you in this change management journey? And um, how do you make sure you're introducing all of this new technology? How do you make sure people feel comfortable and confident in using this new technology? And there are new ways of working. There's new ways of communicating. There's new ways of sharing knowledge. If you're now taking a distributed workforce as the way you're going to move forward. And so all of these, I think, kind of highlighted problems that were already there, but they the urgency has now increased to be able to address this. And what we've seen is really more demand, and especially more demand um, for people who have got your kind of traditional LMS. And they've realized during this kind of lockdown period where they really needed to be able to have a single source of knowledge, they needed to be able to share knowledge, they needed to be able to train their people to be able to perform in this um, strange circumstance, you would expect if your LMS was able to deliver on learning, you should have been able to use it during this period of time. But it didn't work. A lot of the people we speak to now were resorting to using uh, Slack channels and Facebook groups. One organization we spoke to, they were using WhatsApp to deliver uh, uh, knowledge <laughs> and, and learning. And so they were using everything but their LMS. Yeah. And that's always a good indication when people are trying to hack together a solution to solve their problem. It's a good indication of two things. One, that the problem exists and it's a big enough problem. And the other thing is the solution they have in place, which is a traditional LMS, isn't serving that pain point anymore. Yeah. And that's really what we've noticed in the last God, six months. You know, it seems weird to say we've been living like this for six months. But yeah, in the last six months, that's really what we've seen. And more and more people reaching out to us to understand how we can help them um, you know, really drive continuous learning in their organisation. And I think that's right. People using other tech that's not learning tech. And they're actually yeah. making that you know, to be the way that they deliver learning. And you've just got to think about how you learn in your personal life. Like I was, one of, I was planted some seeds the other day. Oh, God, I said, okay, well, how do I do that? So, of course, Google, you know, that's where I went. Yeah. You know, so, and that's how simple it should be if I've got a problem at work. How do I need to do something? And yeah. there it is immediately. And I was talking to someone the other day. Yeah, Bob Mosher, actually, on one of the podcast interviews. And he was saying that there was some research that had come out of the States that people spend a day a week searching for information. Yeah. Are you serious? From a productivity point of view, that's just appalling, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and this is why we think technology has come a long way now. With our platform, one of the things we talk about is no longer do you have to find the knowledge you need, but the knowledge you need will now find you. And not only will it find you, it will find you right where you're working. Because when you think about it logically, it's not rocket science. You know, what we are saying is, if you can leverage the data that exists, so data about the organization and the business goals, organization about data about yourself, you know, who you are, what your strengths, your weaknesses are, where is your skills gaps, where are your knowledge gaps, and how do you learn, what kind of content do you engage with? And then to add to that, I think the most significant data set that we're bringing in is your context. 
Now, this is a key differentiator from your kind of traditional LMSs and your LXPs is most of these platforms still kind of thrive off this kind of Netflix for learning model, which we kind of disagree with. You'd be the first um, LMS provider that I've heard say that. <laughs> Netflix and <laughs> learning is the holy grail, right? <laughs> and say, the reason why we disagree with it is Netflix's goals are completely different. Netflix wants you to binge hours on end and, and watch content, and they want you to keep watching and watching. But I'm sure that's not what you want your uh, employees <laughs> within your organization. But what you do want to do is give them what they need so they can do what they need to do. And what we can do now is for the first time, we can leverage context. So if you're inside Slack, when you search how now, we know you're inside Slack. So the type of learning content you might need is very different to if you were on your phone and we know you're on your phone. As you mentioned, we've got a browser extension with the browser extension We know which application you're inside. So if you're inside Salesforce or you're inside Zendesk and you're on a particular page or on a particular client record, we know that's your context. Now, it's so powerful to know who you are, what you do, and then to know where are you right now so we can really identify that need at that point in time. And this is why we think the significant paradigm shift is the old idea is knowledge is power. And what that lends itself to is almost a knowledge repository. It was almost, it's good enough if all of the knowledge was in one place and people had this one place to go to. But we think relevant knowledge delivered at the point of need is a superpower. It takes it a step further where the relevant knowledge part is we are defining what is relevant to you. We are leveraging data, talent data, skills data, company data, context data. We're leveraging this data to understand what is relevant to you. And then out of that pool of relevant content, we are now waiting for the moment where you have a need and we understand the context of that need before connecting those two things together. Now, that, as far as we're concerned, is a game changer because you're not having to look for the thing that's going to help you move the needle in that moment. And I think that's the significant paradigm shift we're seeing from the way learning was done to how learning will be done. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And that just blows me away, especially about the context and the the fact that, you know, and and one of the things, you know, we said we were going to talk about in this was people's products as I interviewed them because people were not only interested in is LMS dead, but people are also interested what's cool out there, almost like a product showcase. And that was one of the reasons I was attracted to your product in the first place was, you know, and at the time, and I know you've moved on heaps from this, which is your Chrome extension would, would actually pull down everything that's related, not just LMS content, but everything else that's related from your SharePoint or wherever. And then yeah. you showed me the Google scraping stuff that in Google looking for something, it's like, hey, boys or girls, you know, this is actually yeah. <laughs> come back to our intranet or wherever it is. And, you know, that's powerful. So, and as you say, that's all about context, not content. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we will start to see more of this, right? Because I think people will start to realize there is literally a content overload out there. Many of the larger organizations have now experienced what it feels like to have a catalog of 10,000 courses and to to know that no one's using it. And Mm -hmm. so now they've gone through that experience cycle. We're moving more towards an environment that is focused around curation and and curation and delivery and that's contextually relevant. And I think we're moving in that direction. And you know, really the contextual delivery, the kind of common sense logic behind it is why would you introduce new behaviors and habits 
um, that kind of put up barriers to accessing learning. When if you embedded learning within existing habits and behaviors, you're more likely to get engagement. So you mentioned our kind of a Google search overlay where we show results from your internal learning space um, on the most visited website in the world. The reason why we do that is most of us have a habit of going to Google. That's so right. why, why fight that habit? Instead, embed your organizational learning in that habit. So every time someone goes there to look for something work-related, they're constantly reminded that actually my organization has already created this great content or already curated this great content and that I should make the most of. Yeah, absolutely. So what else is cool? What else haven't I seen or know about in terms of your, uh, how it all works? <laughs> well, well, this is cool. well, there's a ton of things. I don't want to list features. and, and, and <laughs> No, no. Well, I guess a, a lot of our thinking comes from a user-first perspective. And I think this is one of the hardest things in general with, with B2B software, but especially within the space we operate within, because the buyer is different to the user. And so... The buyers, naturally, you know, you can't be surprised if they ask you for, I need something that will help me with my room bookings and, and give me the records. Because at the end of the day, they're trying to solve their own pain point. And the buyer in this case is the L&D team or the people team. But what they need to start thinking, if they're going to add real value. And if L&D is going to move from a cost center to mm-hmm. at least a value center, but definitely a profit center, then they need to stop thinking about just their pain points and look at the end user's pain points. And so when we build our platform, the question we ask ourselves is, if the buyer stopped paying for the product, would the end user pay for it, right? And that's how we make our product decisions. And that's how you get a user-first product is we're thinking, we're just as much concerned about the user as getting through the door with the buyer. And so as a result of it, I think we've ended up building a great set of tools to help the user. So one of the things is I love to, you know, when I'm reading on the Kindle, I love to highlight, right? And if I'm reading physical books and, you know, anyone who has a habit of annotating or highlighting, yet on traditional LMSs, you're always a passive learner. And so what we built is a highlight and annotations feature, which means you can highlight and annotate anything you're learning on the HowNow platform. It could be an internal course. It could be an internal policy document. It could be an external blog. It could be a course on a content library like LinkedIn or Udemy. It doesn't matter where on the web it is. You can highlight and annotate. And what that does is it turns you from a passive learner to an active learner. And it also means you are now able to build on top of existing knowledge. Now, it doesn't stop there. Now, if you do highlight on the Kindle, how often do you ever go back and look at those highlights? The chances are most people never go back to those highlights. So that's why we use a combination of space repetition and active recall to send you in your emails and through the web application reminders of things that you've previously highlighted and to kind of create the serendipity of connecting you with something that you highlighted and thought mattered so we can trigger that idea and over time reinforce and, and embed it and kind of reinforce that learning you're doing. And so that's one of the features I've used the most. And so it's, it's something that I quite like. Another popular one is definitely our Slack app and our Microsoft Teams app. And especially in the last kind of six months, uh, people are you know, spending most of their day inside Slack or Microsoft Teams. And you can essentially get a lot of the value you'd get from HowNow without ever leaving either of these tools. So you can search HowNow directly from Slack and Teams. I saw um, that, yeah. yeah. And you can look at the content within it. 
one of my favorite ones is a lot of knowledge transfer these days happens in chat, in conversation. Mm. So my colleague would ask me a question. I would answer that question. But what's stopping me from being asked that question over and over again? So one of the things you can do is you can convert one of your messages into what we call a nugget and store it in how now. So we say Slack and Teams is like your short-term memory, but how now is like your long-term memory where all of those nuggets you never want to lose, you can capture and organize in how now. I'll stop there. Otherwise, we'll carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to carry on, but see, we probably don't have the time. <laughs> what I'm hearing though is that you and your business understand learning principles first, and you are focusing on the learner. And that's what's driving the tech. And I think so many LMSs just are building tech and bells and whistles without saying, you know, space repetition, how does it work? How do I like to learn annotating? Okay, let's build a product around that. Oh, so a feature around that. I haven't actually seen that, that feature, so I'll get uh, Kuvera to give me a little demo <laughs> of that. But brilliant. You know, that's just really awesome. And you can just hear that this is not a traditional LMS that sits over there and no one goes to. And as you say, when I know here we had two days between level three and level four, and people were resorting to classroom training. And as you say, the LMS wasn't even a factor in yeah. trying to get people upskilled or reskilled or retrained. So, yeah, very, very good point. And it, but if I'd had that habit of being able to just, you know, know where to go and find that sure. it would have been a different story. So I guess lastly, um, the big question, do you think the LMS is dead? <laughs> we said it a couple of years ago when we first met Rostica. So I, I, <laughs> I do think the LMS in the traditional format, and I want, I want to make it clear that, I know at that event, we maybe offended a few LMS providers who this is their kind of bread and butter. And they will always, I think for the near future, there'll be LMS providers who are carrying on doing it. But I think the LMS in its traditional sense of what the evolution that we discussed at the beginning in terms of what its primary purpose was to be not user first, to be admin first. And I think that kind of paradigm is dead. And I don't think anyone today Going out to the market to look for a traditional LMS, you really need to ask yourself why you're doing that. Because any software procurement decision you're making now is not for the next six months or 12 months. This is a long-term decision because you are basically building your learning culture and bringing your learning ecosystem together with this technology at its foundation. And so it is an important decision. And you need to really ask yourself why you're bringing in a traditional LMS in, at this day and age and whose problem are you actually solving? Is it your own? Is it your colleagues? Is it the organization's problem? And um, so in that sense, yeah, I, I definitely think the traditional LMS is dead. That's, that's my take on, on, on the LMS. Yeah. And I think what we'll start to see is definitely a kind of new suite of products like ourselves. But, you know, one of the things we fundamentally believe in is no single platform will get every part of the problem 100% right. We don't strive to be everything for everyone. We know what our problem is, right? We, mm. Our problem is we want to use learning to drive performance and development. That's what we're solving. And we strip it down to a user level. It's how do we take the user from where they are today to where they want to go tomorrow? And what that journey, that progress, we almost look at ourselves as the GPS for their progress, is how do they get there and helping them navigate there. That's the problem we're interested in solving. And so the way we're set up as a platform is we believe rather than buying this one system that tries to do everything and try to carve out what you need from a rock, 
what you should be doing is building what you want from Lego blocks. And yes. for us, how now is the Lego block? And we've designed to be able to work well with other platforms. So you bring in other Lego blocks. You know, if you think someone else is great for performance management, then great. We can work with them. You and we can make sure we share data and, and vice versa. And I think that's more important. And this is why I really hope L&D teams make the most of this. It's a great time to buy software because thanks to APIs and different ways of integrating, you really can buy best of breed and get these things to work together. And you're no longer held to ransom by this one kind of ERP, HR system that says, is learning as a bolt on, take it. It's not really a product that we innovate on, but it's just an add-on. You can have it. And you no longer need to be held to ransom by companies like that. Yeah, I'm doing a rescue mission at the moment with a company who, that is exactly what happened, had a bolt on, didn't work. People are not using the system nine months later and it's just crazy. So it's rather than thinking about what the learning was required at the time. Anyway, it happens and it happens a lot. So um, not uncommon. and And I do think that the buy the best and breed or the niche products and API them together is definitely coming. There's a company here in New Zealand, Talent Apps, and they basically, if you go into their marketplace, they actually have built the API. So if you're in there as their marketplace, you can actually just, uh-huh. it's all pre-built, just push the button and it's done. So that stuff's coming totally. And I think a lot of L&D people don't, because they don't, they've always been in that creation where they want to create learning on to work with the client, you know, consult. It hasn't really been in that sort of more formalized data analysis or sort of that interest in the detail. It's been more of that sort of intuitive, creative type feel. And there's just that lack of understanding on how does the tech work? What is an API? How does it actually, how do we make that happen? And their eyes glaze over when you start talking about it. <laughs> and I think what will happen as a result of this, Roscoe, is it will liberate L&D and people teams from dependency on IT teams. And that's the way technology is moving now, where we're getting no-code, low-code products these days, where you know you build yeah. websites a line of code. And that's the way the, I think the wider industry is moving, where when you look at these kind of legacy kind of LMS platforms, often you need the support of IT to kind of configure, set these things up. But actually... If you look at some of the, the great B2B SaaS companies out there, the power is down to the user. The user can essentially use this tool to get what they need out of it. And they don't need the support of an IT expert to, to get that configured. And I think that is one of the benefits that will come as a result of this shift towards more of a Lego block, build what you need using APIs versus carve what you need out of a rock. Yeah, great analogy to end on there. <laughs> how, can, <laughs> how can people get hold of you? What's the best way? Sure, you can check us out on gethownow.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, my email address is nice and simple, nelson at gethownow.com. And you can find us in the usual places, LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and at HQ. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And I really hope that I can get to the UK again sometime soon, although it probably won't be soon, will it? <laughs> Either you come to us, Rusko, or we'll come to you when it's possible. <laughs> I think it's safer over there. <laughs> that's if they let you in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've been charging people $3,000 to come in. So, um, yeah, just oh, wow. for, that's for quarantine. So for two weeks, but um, maybe in a year or two, that'll be lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Nelson. <laughs> Thanks, Russ. If you'd like to get in touch with me to suggest topics or speakers, you can contact me on LinkedIn or Facebook or find the links in the show notes below. Keep on smiling.